Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, and welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast. Today's guest, I haven't talked in a while, just schedules in a line, but she is here. She is an anthropologist and one of the sharpest minds that I know, Dr. Susan Mazura-Stoman. Doctor, Hi. how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Um, first thing, let's talk about push-ups. Um, okay. Now... There was a tweet that I couldn't believe that I saw this morning that if folks remember Alan West, he was the disgraced former Army officer discharged, and then he became a rather large figure in the Republican Party as far as his penchant for being a a black person who absolutely loved the GOP. Well, today... A reporter was late, and Alan decided to tell this reporter that he owed him push-ups. The reporter's like, no, I'm not doing a push-up. You can do them. So Alan West, in full suit, decides to to actually get push-ups in. Now, there is something at play with, you know, let's kind of discussed the male ego he comes from a background where he was a commander of a large amount of troops and just that he has that GOP not even GOP just general bravado of thinking that he can tell people what to do what do you think outside of environment that male fragility comes from Um, you swerved on me there a little bit because I thought we were, I didn't expect the male fragility part, but I mean, that's, I saw the same thing. I saw it, I think, through your, through your tweet. And, um, it was really out of left field. I mean, I think that's what was so funny about it. And I was just looking him up because I, I thought, if I recalled correctly, he was a colonel and he is, he was a lieutenant colonel. And, um, um, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he's, 
clearly, I believe, didn't he relocate to run for office a second time, if I'm correct? In Texas. Did he relocate from Florida to Texas or from Texas yes, to Florida? Yes, from, from Florida to Texas. Yeah. And, like, I just, as a guy, and I just, I don't understand the fragile nature. Like, he was, he literally thinking that this random reporter was one of his troops that he could order to get push-ups done. He literally told a grown adult, a civilian, that he should drop and give him push-ups. And then when he was told no, he decided to make a show of it. Does that say more yeah. about how he feels about himself or how he feels about other people? You know, it's interesting. I mean, well, you mentioned that, I mean, let's go to the military thing for a second, because I have seen that in, in some interest instances, that military indoctrination carries over into other workplaces in weird, uncomfortable ways. Um, I recall particularly um, my ex-husband talking about how, you know, this guy at work would always use military sign-offs and his emails and, um, and in a way that was sort of inappropriate. So I, I think that's, I, I think there's something else besides, um, you know, just male fragility here. I think there is that very kind of bubble mentality going on. I mean, this is a guy who had a successful career in the military, which means that he was, you know, obviously indoctrinated and, you know, nothing against that because that's actually important. I mean, that's how militaries work. But here it's like he he has a certain, I think you used the right word. Um, well, you said fragility, but also this rigidity of his thinking. It's really... Um, how he kind of can't transfer. He doesn't have this flexibility in thinking that that's not appropriate. I mean, and that he really is kind of on this track where he's got to complete the arc of this engagement with this other person in in this manner and cannot, like, pivot in a way, which is interesting because he is a politician, right? And he's a, been a national figure. People know who he is. And you would think that that would have induced some type of, of flexibility in his um, modus operandi, but it didn't. So I don't know. I think that I think the military is a big part of it here. That's my guess. It's my my uninformed guess. Now digging deep into West's background, he was deployed in Kuwait in '91 and '03. He was charged in an incident that involved the beating and simulated execution of an Iraqi policeman. He fired the gun near the man's ear during interrogation. After a hearing, he accepted non-judicial punishment, was fined five grand, and was allowed to retire a lieutenant colonel. So basically, he disgraced himself and was asked to leave before they threw him out. Okay. I'm seeing that now. Yep. And they, it speaks to what you mentioned. And, you know, he's what people would call a firebrand conservative, as, a, as opposed to the entire party not being firebrand in their own right. When I look at him, especially from the angle of how do I say this? Should know better. Mm -hmm. He does the absolute counter of it where he's just from a black person's viewpoint. I think he tries to ingratiate himself to the GOP by doing the same thing that Herman Cain did. That Ben Carson tried that Terrence Williams folks like diamond and silk these people but if you kind of draw the parallel between Herman Cain 
and Alan West, Herman Cain was one of Trump's most ardent black supporters. Herman Cain also contracted COVID and died. But yet yeah. you, you see Trump supporters like backing away because he went to that super spreading event in was it Tulsa? And yeah, Tulsa. soon after he lost his life. Now, politics aside, I, I don't it's in a way, you know, more of the well, you kind of had it coming because for me, it's Herman Cain should have knew, knew better. But saw well, didn't he have cancer too at some point? I, I he thought did. He had, yeah, and so he had a com- compromised immune system, so he really, really should not have gone there. And there were pictures of him at this rally in Tulsa with all like and maskless, of course. And when he passed on, there was this like this separation between Trump and Herman Cain where they just kind of like backed away from him and mm-hmm. for people you know for black people it's that should serve as a any black conservative that should serve as a warning yeah you're good when you're alive anything happens to you they don't know who you are Herman Cain wasn't mentioned yeah. after he died by the Trump administration at all yeah. nothing well I think part of that is also the illness aspect and the fact that Trump is a germaphobe right I mean mm-hmm. I think that he is really that was part I think in that case it was more the the disease the the covid situation than being black in this particular thing but let me turn that back to you because we also had tim scott in the news recently right when he gave the reply to uh president biden's address and so here's a question for you i mean we've seen it on like shows like key and peel the idea of the black male conservative and it's usually male with the exception of kind of diamond and silk and maybe candace owens it tends to be at least male, partly because of the patriarchy of the Republican Party itself, but they tend to be played as a caricature for fun, right? Kind of guys who live in golf sweaters, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, I mean, I'm thinking particularly of the Key and Peele sketch, but there's been a few others, I guess. What what do you see as the common thread between um, Herman Cain and Tim Scott and Alan West and... Um, I am bl- blanking on his name, but he was the surgeon who ran. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. Thank you. There's a what, is the, what is the through line there? Tell me. Tell me what you think. I think without snark, just if I take it analytically and shelve my normally petty tendencies, I it is more of the combination. It's a mixture. It's a it's a contradicted cocktail of self hate. Uh, white adjacency and as mm-hmm. you mentioned that love of the patriarchy where if you look at the black community and if you look at parts of the black community the there are parts of black men as much as people are going to hate that I say this but this is how I've seen it that want to have the same control over their community as white men do and as such you see a lot of black men trying to align with the white men and try to walk in their shoes, mirror their steps, or emulate what they see. And for me, mm-hmm. you got a Tim Scott. Tim Scott is from South Carolina. If he, in his mind, has never seen racism and, and doesn't think America is a racist country, I joked all day, but I, there's that delusion where he literally 
in some of these people, the line drawn is they literally think that bigotry and tolerance of racism happens to other black people, that they're, they're somehow different as far as how they conduct themselves. Maybe in their mind they think they're better than the average black person. And there's that mm-hmm. delusional hatred of the culture. and Like Bill Cosby and the famous... Pound cake speech. Yes. Pound cake speech. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. You hit the nail all the way on the head. Oh, God. (laughs) Missed this. Um, I I was thinking pudding because he does the pudding pops, right? Of course. Yeah. Pound cake speech. Why is it called the pound cake speech again? What did he talk about pound cake? I don't remember remember that part. Because his, he said this. This is his exact quote. But these people, the ones up here in the balcony, fought so hard. Looking at the incarcerated, these are not political criminals. These are people going around stealing Coca-Cola. People getting shot in the back of the head over a piece of pound cake, and then we all run out and are outraged. Quote, the cops shouldn't have shot him. What the hell was he doing with the pound cake in his hand? I wanted a piece of pound cake just as bad as anybody else, and I looked at it, and I had no money. And then something called parenting said, if you get caught with it, you're going to embarrass your mother. Not you're going to get your butt kicked. No, you're not going to embarrass your family. He literally, this was in 2004? Mm-hmm. I want to say it was May 17th. It was May 17th, 2004. So it was 17 years ago. He, Bill Cosby, decided to make the case of pretty much absolving cops for shooting unarmed black people over theft. And yeah. it is, it's funny, I was talking to friend Candy earlier on another show about the, just how harmful this was. Because there is a mindset among black conservatives that the police do no wrong. You had to do something. You always must comply. Yeah. Philando Castile, you know, he complied dead. George yeah. Floyd, same town, complied. He's yeah. dead. Yeah. I mean, here's a thought. Okay, so this something that's occurring to me, because, you know, we're asking about this through line, and now we're talking about Bill Cosby, who, as we know, turned out to have, like, a whole bunch of weird stuff going on, um, to put it mildly. Um, there's something a little weird about all these guys. Right, these ones that we're mentioning, with the exception of Tim Scott. I've never heard anything weird about Tim Scott personally, um, and he doesn't present himself particularly weird. But Ben Carson, um, let's talk about, wasn't it there the Popeyes situation, like what he actually called the Popeyes situation? And uh, um, there's a certain, uh, let's call it almost social awkwardness. I'm wondering if we know that, you know, in women, for example, things like ADHD and autism spectrum are underdiagnosed. I don't know about the black community, but I would assume that given everything else we know about in our society, that's also underdiagnosed. These are all really successful men, but successful men in very sort of rigid, specific kinds of careers, right? Like CEO and military leader and surgeon that kind of suggests that they may potentially be on the spectrum. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think for some it would be, as far as the autism spectrum, being a parent of autism kid, autistic child, I know that in the black community there's a hesitance on seeking medical attention, and you can tie it towards mental health where ask just about any black person or a majority of black people, we all have had that quote-unquote crazy relative. This is the relative who 
may exhibit erratic behavior, may have self-medicated with drugs to be it legal and illegal to calm what is going on in their minds and their hearts. And there's always been that stigma of mental health and getting away from it. But with Ben Carson, this is what he said. He said, he, this is his quote, and I'm reading it dead ass on, quote, I have had a gun held on me when I was in a Popeye's. This is when he was in Baltimore. The guy comes in, puts the gun in my ribs, and I just said, I believe you want the guy behind the counter. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what the Baltimore police said next day. Based on information that Ben Carson mentioned, there was not enough info to identify a police report and a reference to the incident. He didn't give any details. He didn't give a time frame. He just said random somebody walks in a Popeyes and wants uh, a two-piece in a cash register. Like, it's just, you know, and he literally tried to talk the the gun out from between his ribs. Like, he is yeah. the the... The pistol whisperer. Yeah, I don't. I, I always thought he was trying to be funny there. So like, I don't know. Do we think he was trying to be funny? He. This is actually what he said further. I wouldn't just stand there and let them sh- let him shoot me. I would say, hey guys, everyone attack him. He may shoot me, but he can't get us all. Yeah. And then he said, I want to plant in people's minds what to do in a situation like this, because unfortunately this is probably not going to be the last time it happens. From the indications I got, they did not rush the shooter. I mean, it is stunning that a gifted surgeon, and I can never besmirch his medical career because I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never played on TV. I've never stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. I'm a regular dude. I am a layman. But just as a layman, just a regular American citizen, this dude really looked at the camera on Fox News and said, I talked somebody out of shooting me because I said, hey, that's the man you want. So you pretty much, in order to save your own behind, snitched to, not snitched, but kind of pushed the gun in somebody else's direction. So you didn't just say, you saved yourself by trying to put the heat on someone else. I get self-preservation. I get that. But there's a line between self-preservation and snakery of the highest form, order, and quality. (laughs) And Ben Carson showed himself. And I just, just with the ease of his delivery, just stunned me. Now, when we come back from break, you know, as the good doctor said, we will definitely get into the weirdness. You are listening to the... Black Tuesday podcast on the FBC radio network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, Dr. Susan Mazira, Stoneman. Dr. Wynn. Well, first of all, that Ben Carson one, just it, it still stuns me how people actually voted for him. And he got votes. And he was a guy that – he was a thing that happened. Now – I want to talk about the aspect of how do I say um, California, just the state of California politically, because you are a native Californian, correct? Pretty much, yeah. I live most of my life in California. Yes. For someone not born there and not from there, and probably I haven't visited there. Why does it seem like California politics for a state that big is so disjointed? I can actually answer that one. Um, and it's interesting. It's an interesting answer. Um, one of the reasons is progressiveness. And it's not current progressiveness. It's that there were a lot of reforms that dated back to the turn of the 20th century and they were um, meant to give more direct democracy to Californians. And I think it really honestly coincided with, um, or I should say collided with the incredible uh, population growth of California. And so what you have is, unfortunately, like the biggest, most populous state has some of the most direct democracy and now you can see what happens when that comes about. Um, I can give you several examples, and I'm sure you're talking about the current recall effort slash retread of including some of the same characters, like Mary Carey, who is a former porn star, of 2003. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, so there's some – it does attract – um, I mean, first of all, you know, it's it's an it's got two major industries there, Silicon Valley and Hollywood, that have outrageous characters, right? Oftentimes driving the narrative and getting to be, you know, sort of spokespeople for their industry and really, really famous. And um, um, uh, then, so that so that's part of it. So you just have these really larger than life individuals who kind of um, ride these bizarro moments, but. Beyond the recalls and the governor's races that, you know, seem to circle around every once in a while and be really strange and bizarre, um, the direct democracy that I mentioned earlier has presented a bunch of 
problems over time. And one of them was Enron. I mean, if you recall, um, well, maybe you don't recall, but the 2003 governor recall was was um, promoted by Daryl Issa, who's one of the grossest human beings. And it was in response to California having worked with Enron um, to essentially manage the energy markets that had been deregulated in the mid to late 90s by the voters. And the voters voted to deregulate. And it was incredibly stupid when it happened. And I remember when it happened and I said to myself, I don't know how this works. Ironically, I later did know how this works because I ended up looking in um, sort of the energy field. But at the time, I did not. And I was like, why is somebody expecting me, random Jane voter, to know how deregulating energy markets works? Why are you even asking me this? This should be your job as somebody who wants to govern, you know, the fifth or seventh largest economy in the world. This should not be left into my hand. Um, So... Yeah, what you have is this direct democracy situation where you have these propositions that are put on by pretty much anybody with a fairly low threshold and then voted on by everybody. We also see California as a bellwether for other trends. So, for example, um, we had uh, one of the first third three strikes laws, I believe it was Prop 187 in a few years, um, and what we saw, though, was that a lot of money came in uh, for that one and for um, um, Prop 8, uh, which was, I believe, marriage equality. And I can't remember now if Prop 8 was putting us back against marriage equality or for, but regardless, a lot of money came in from Utah, uh, from Mormons, interestingly, um, trying to impose their particular religious worldview on California. And um, so you got outside money, some of the earliest trends of people, if you will, nationalizing state issues or state races. And you see that in California. So I, that's my nutshell answer to your question about why California politics is so crazy. And it's really like the structure of the direct democracy aspects, the huge population. Um, let's not forget the fact that bizarrely now we've, we're losing a congressperson, right, because of the census which doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, how does that make sense? We already have not enough Congress people, you know, I mean, compared to whatever, you know, Wyoming. Um, you know, our vote is already diluted to hell and beyond. It's one of the reasons why I moved to West Virginia was because I wanted to live somewhere for the first time in my life where my vote mattered. And after living in California and D.C., as you know, my vote really doesn't count or I didn't, wasn't allowed to vote or I didn't have a senator or my vote was diluted so far. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a bunch of stuff that makes California unique, but it's not unique in the sense that things only happen there. I think they just happen earlier there. That's been my observation over the years. Speaking of California and California politics, Senator Dianne Feinstein is apparently, she's launched, she has filled out the paperwork to, Run for re-election. Senator Feinstein is... 90. 87 years old. She was 87, born June 22nd, 1933. I don't want to be ageist because that's not how I do things. But... I mean, I think in this case it's really beyond ageist. I mean, we... 
ages to me is saying, okay, you are still, you're 55 and we're not going to hire you for a job that you are perfectly capable of doing. Um, 87 and being a senator, um, I think there's some real reasonable concerns there, particularly about things like the kinds of laws that they're making and how much understanding that, you know, she has about um, sort of society and you know how how I mean she's you could also technically you could also argue that her her wild wealth also insulates her from that but you know I think the age thing does matter I mean you see that with Chuck Grassley you know mm-hmm. the the average age of the Senate is something like I don't know seventy mm-hmm. I mean um, and that's crazy these people do not understand how technology works they don't understand the ramifications of some of the laws that they're imposing. Um, you know, really, really basic stuff. I mean, we've heard, you know, series of tubes, right, coming out of these folks. And I think that there's, that you, are there sharp 87-year-olds? Absolutely. My uncle is still out there kicking. And, you know, he's a chemical engineer. He's, what, 84? And, but on the other hand, I don't, I wouldn't vote for Uncle Ken to be in the Senate. You know? I don't think that's ageist to say, like, Uncle Ken, you should be enjoying your golden years and not, like, commuting to Washington, D.C. all the time. And for me, it's one of those things that between her, between you mentioned Chuck Grassley, there's a, because I guess one of the things that I look at is she stepped down from a pretty powerful seat, like a pretty powerful chair on a Senate committee, and I'm kind of wondering why like is it because the demands of it are too great and i have respect for senator feinstein i really do i truly do this is not a uh, an attack on her career but like like you mentioned as a state you know things are there's a, a shift and i'm hoping that maybe she is doing this to because i'm could be wrong and you can correct me on this but if she launches a re-election campaign and raises a bunch of money, if she decides to retire, she can turn that money over to the DNC or to a possible successor. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I'm not, I do not know anything about campaign finance. So it is my hope that that is what she's doing, because that would be an eternal gift and well, didn't she say something recently about um, Breyer not retiring? Right. And I think, and that she she didn't seem to understand why he might retire. So I don't think I would say you're being kind of hopeful there. Yeah. I, I think she's running to run. I think oh. she really. I mean, I think people. That's the thing. It's like, you know, and that's a, that's a that's a conversation maybe for another day. Right. I mean, how old is too old or how, you know, is should there be mandatory age limits for people or, you know, people talk about term limits. And, you know, people also say, well, there should be there shouldn't be term limits because people vote for them and that should be the term limit. Right. People should stop voting for them. But we see that once somebody gets in there, right, they're just not out. Right. There's just they're not out. Ken Calvert, they've even redistricted him. He is he is gross. He supported the the one six uh, insurrection, and he's been there 
I moved into and out of Riverside, out of living, you know, in the mid '90s, like 25 years ago. He was there then, and he's there now. That's how long he's been there, right? I mean, the world has clearly changed. I, I mean, when I went down to Riverside for grad school, hardly anybody had cell phones, right? <laughs> and he's still there. So um, I think, you know, maybe it's not so much age, but age and term limits, that conversation is going to go together probably. Now, if we shift to, I mean, it's one of those things, and I want to talk about something randomly, and you, you mentioned weird, but there was a woman, I would like to get her name right. Her name, let's make sure I get this right, Halima Cease. The other day, she delivered five girls and four boys. Oh, yeah, Mali, I just saw that, yeah. The yeah. country of Mali. That's nine children. I mean, I just... Yeah. I, first, you know, non-uplets is a word that I didn't know that was in a dictionary until Miss Cease, Cisse, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, but Miss Cisse or... She delivered nine kids, just not yeah. 25, like outside of the whatever awards that we like to bestow on Miss Cease. What were, I, I don't even have a question, Doc. I just was, I was just stunned. Like saying nine children at once is just, my yeah. mouth is agape. Well, they thought they had seven. And so one of my friends joked, oh, no, she's probably got seven of everything. How is she going to find two more matching ones? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that was that was good point there, <laughs> Jess, good point. But, you know, it's true. It's like if you've got, like, seven Donald Duck onesies, you know, you've probably cleared out the store of Donald Duck onesies. You know, I don't know. Like, are there more? But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't know enough about the situation, like – I, they have one older child, so they actually have 10 kids. I knew that. And um, as you said, she's 25, and if they have one older, I cannot imagine that this was a fertility situation like some of the other ones are, like Octuplet's mom, you know, was. Um, the uh, So, I mean, it sounds like it's just one of those rare random events, you know. And thank God they had, you know, good quality health care, it looks like, and the baby survived. So, but, yeah, it's ouch. I mean, just the the concept is, ugh, blah, blah. I mean, uh, shout out to her, and hopefully those sleeps those sleep schedules sync up eventually. Which, yeah. let's be honest, I don't really see that happening. But it's all about hoping for the absolute best. Now, when we come back from break, I want to talk about Tucker Carlson. Why? Because it's Tucker Carlson. You are listening to the. Black Tuesday podcast on the FPC radio network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are back with our Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, Dr. Susan Missouri Stillman. Doc, when apparently Tucker Carlson has been making a fool of himself, which theoretically we shouldn't be that stunned, but it seems as though this is a man who his network had to go to court and explain to the court everything that comes out of his mouth is not news. It's entertainment, but yet he he prides himself for being a newsman. There's a gray area between willful ignorance, abject stupidity, and just absence of gray matter as far as being able to digest and respond to Fox News. If they know that he is this big of a misinformation beacon and they've had to defend him legally in court on just a human level there are people who don't understand their legacies does he not have that foggy clue that this is his legacy to be mocked forever well I mean you know somebody actually put it well on Twitter they pointed out that you know when um, when John Stewart went on Crossfire and essentially got Crossfire shut down, you know everybody kind of thought that was that was the uh, the high point, and that was like, wow, yay! Look, you you were the voice of reason, and people listened, and that you know ended that. But instead, we look at it now, what ten years later, and basically Tucker Carlson is like one of the most influential people on in media, and John Stewart's totally irrelevant, and it's kind of spooky, right? That that happened. Like you thought, oh yay, we, you know one of our, you know the good guys won one and and shut down this this toxic discourse, but he's just gone on to become you know, what is it our 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 generation's father Coughlin, you know the the racist Catholic broadcaster yeah. from the 1930s. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, he's based. It seems like we always have one of these guys around, right? I mean, it's almost inevitable. Um, I guess. I mean, as long as we don't have rules against what people can say on, you know, broadcast. And as you said, they got around the rules by just claiming it's, you know, for novelty purposes only. Um, but, uh, yeah, he is he is a scary, scary dude. And I don't – is he unraveling perhaps a little bit? Maybe. I mean, ever since, you know, certainly ever since the uh, Matt Gates situation has been ongoing, he he seems to – possibly be maybe a little close to that but you know he's just an interesting he's he's scary because he's sort of unpredictable you know he's now lashing out at kevin mccarthy and frank lutz of all people and it's kind of like no nobody's safe from him and whatever he decides is is the orthodoxy right that everybody should be observing so even people who are um you know, very much on his, you know, side of the of the political spectrum, you know, he will 
attack them, you know, kind of like a scorpion. So I don't know. I think he's very dangerous and scary. That's kind of where I, I land with Tucker. Though I do yeah. love Joy Reid taking him down. Oh, that she called hilarious. him Tuckums. Tuckums. Yeah. The whole thing. Actually, I kind of didn't like the Tuckums. I felt like that was not great. I thought everything else she said was fantastic. And then the Tuckums was like, uh, that made her sound a little bit, a little bit like she was bothered more than, than, um, than the rest of the speech sounded. Do you know what I mean? That makes sense. Like, yeah. 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 It seemed like it yeah. was just like uh, the frosting on the cake where she just kept it as cake. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of like, I was like, eh, that was like, yeah. Because otherwise it was all a really fantastic speech. Yeah. But people, but I mean, I seem to be in the minority on that one. People seem to find that hilarious. So I will just go with that. Now, another couple of questions. One is this. You are, as we mentioned, anthropologist. You're, you know, a patient. You are a doctor. You are mm-hmm. one of the most astute people I've had on the show. It's 200 and some odd, you know, career of being on the show. And here's a question. You're a learned individual. When you have to talk to someone who is maybe not as learned but steadfastly strong in their beliefs, even though they are provably false and obviously wrong, mm-hmm. how do you exhibit or display or contain that patience has needed to get through that conversation? Um, you know, uh, I guess I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I don't, I mean, I don't really encounter a lot of people who are um, too um, brain dead, I guess you could say. I mean, I do I encounter people who have different political opinions than myself? Yes, uh, particularly uh, the old man who runs the nearby kind of hamburger stand. <laughs> he's, he loves to tell me about socialism a lot. Um, but even he, you know, he's he's got his points. He's an old guy, again, back with the ageism. But, you know, when I mean old, he bases a lot of his belief on, and I think we've talked about this on a previous podcast, uh, his experience in Italy in the 1960s in the military. You know, oh. I mean, you know, 60, year, 60 year old data. Really. So that's the other thing. A lot of people, you know, let's go back to Diane Feinstein for just a second. You know, everything else aside, um, people do kind of work with old data. They don't necessarily update their beliefs and their data sets as they age, right? So even if people are keeping abreast of things, but if you're a senator, you know, you're surrounded by people who do that work for you, right? Who encounter, who deal with the humans around you and who filter information to you. So, you know, that's another reason for both age and term limits in some ways, is that both the position, but also the tenure in that position insulate you from new information. So, um, yeah, I don't really spend a lot of time talking to brain dead people, but in general, when I do, I would say the closest thing I come to is anybody who's kind of anti-vax or even sort of on the, on the fence, and I have a friend who's a little bit of that holistic, earthy, crunchy, you know, kind of almost kind of gets into that sort of conspiracy level. She's not an anti-vaxxer, but she's sort of just asking questions. And, you know, we got into it because I was saying, you know, you're just asking questions is really, in this case, undermining 
right, public health. And, you know, there's, you know, I'm not seeing you just ask questions about the side effects from, you know, other things like birth control pills, um, you know, which have the same incidence of the AstraZeneca blood clot. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You just have to kind of depend on the context and your closeness to that person and what the, how extended the engagement and encounter is going to be because, you know, for me, I can throw a quip off at the hamburger man and if I, uh, he, he's definitely in my life. He, he the, the diner is right down the block from me and I do like their hamburgers. But if I never went back because he and I rumbled, then it wouldn't end my life. But I wouldn't want to end a friendship necessarily over something where my impatience with their blockheadedness, you know, damaged an otherwise positive and long-lived relationship. So I don't know if that answered your question or not, yes. but that's kind of my take. No, it's, it's, it's a fair one, and it's, on, it's honest. Now, you are the person to answer our final question because you have, you've seen it from both sides. You've lived in D.C., and mm-hmm. you live currently in West Virginia. Yes. Joe Manchin. Now, we've talked yeah. about the senator before. Now, here's my, here's my question to you as someone who has seen both sides of the fence who can deliver this, only you can't. Do you think that he is slow to provide support for D.C. statehood because those two added Senate seats would pretty much minimize any power that he might have? I think that's I think that's the best explanation generally. Although, again, I think I think with Joe Manchin, he genuinely I think he really actually believes in what he's selling. Like it's the worst possible situation because he's not. He's not purchasable in some ways. I think he really believes these dumb convictions of his. You know, I don't think he's, I don't think he's necessarily the grand chess master and so engaged with power. He's, he's as far as I understand, he's not planning on running again. He's been, I believe, he was governor before he was senator. I don't. He's 74 himself, 74 or 77, something like that. He's definitely not running for higher office. Um, you know. I, there's no reason why, if he didn't have these convictions, the convictions, that he couldn't just go, you know, hog wild and help his state. But even Jim Justice has gotten mad at him, you know, for not essentially. And Jim Justice, like Joe Manchin, well, no, wait, Joe Manchin didn't switch parties. I don't think uh, Jim Justice did switch parties. He was a Democrat that became a Republican. By the way, totally on the subject of West Virginia politics, but in an interesting side tangent today i went to there was new york times do you live in a bubble and um you can go look at how people are voted i guess or registered i'm not told i forget which one it was in your vicinity and interestingly i'm in you know as you mentioned west virginia and it was 61 percent democrats so people but the problem is they're not necessarily voting like democrats at least not at the top of the ticket so we get people who are Democrats in name only, you know, the dinos. And Joe Manchin is kind of one of those people. Like, they really believe where they are. Um, and that is, that's a problem. I mean, I think Joe Biden knows Joe Manchin quite well. And I think he's probably the best person to work with him 
So cross our fingers that he'll know what buttons to push to get him to continue to cooperate. And he does caucus mostly with the Democrats, and he is a reliable Democrat vote. You know, it's something to keep in mind as we kind of hammer at him for these statements. He has not, as far as I know, to date, held us up on anything that was important. I would say his, like, the talking points with, uh, like, Neera Tandon and, like, some of the confirmations, would they – they loom large, and it's more of it's an interesting dynamic because he's taken a lot of the heat, and Kristen Cinema from Arizona, she's taken her fair share, but he's getting the most because he's been there longer. If he ever were to retire, which, like you said, he's probably not going to run again, and that seat goes to red, I guess the push yeah. is to make sure that DC gets low, gets gets though gets statehood first and be able to give the Democrats that 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 cushion. Where I, you know, I'm one of the people that I think that unity in the Democratic Party is a dream because of the different subsections and the splintering. Where if you look at the Republicans, there's subsections, but they tend to line up when it when it's time to get it right. And that's the only thing that I wish that the Democrats did that the Republicans do. That's the one thing. Actually, the only, yeah, the only thing I wish they would do. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, I mean, as a, I've lived in D.C., and I definitely am for D.C. statehood. And just to hear, like, oh, I guess, you know what, the, I guess the, the last question, speaking of, you know, D.C., are you surprised that there's been such a move to oust Liz Cheney? Oh, no, not at this point. I mean, you know, I think what has been interesting, no, I'm not, because structurally everybody's explained this in the sense that we are in a positive feedback loop that has relationships to the 2010 uh, midterms and the gerrymandering that resulted and the Tea Party that arose and, of course, the you know response to Obama. But um, basically, only the nuttier, because of the way that their districting has happened, the Republicans never have to run against anybody but their own. And as such, then in the primaries, the nuttiest ones are coming out, right? And so what we've seen is that move on the Republican side of that Overton window from People like a Jeff Flake, people forget, like, he was a Tea Party guy. He was quite out there 10 years ago. And now he's, like, voice of unlikely reason, you know? <laughs> he's just, like, he almost sounds like a Democrat at some point. You know what I mean? Uh, you get John Boehner, who is still an asshole. But, you know, he's he's funny, so people give him latitude. That guy, but he's not crazy, you know what I mean? But he got out. They got out because it's just it's it's piranhas in there. You know, you get your so the redistricting until we solve that, until we solve gerrymandering, um, uh, yeah, I don't. I think it's just the districting is the structural reason why we've got so many crazies. Now, as we close, how will people be able to interact with you on social media? Uh, you can usually find me on Twitter, and I am at AnthroDiva and at Indicia Info, depending on whether you want 
my craziness side or you want my more professional side? It has been my pleasure to welcome you back to the full day. It's been a while. Like I said, our schedule is now aligned, and I hope that we definitely will be talking soon. Dr. Susan Mazur-Stoman, it has been, as I mentioned, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on the Black Tuesday podcast. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other.